Okay, Marlboro Softball, I know you've all been waiting for this podcast since before the draft and with the little teaser of our awards special. Everybody's anticipation for the 2021 season is at an all-time high. Well, we just had the draft on Sunday. We've had a day or so now to react to the draft, to digest. I know some teams have already had practice already. So now it's time to break down the rosters. Now it's time to think about what each team looks like going into the 2021 season. And of course, where people might have gone differently in their drafts, who could have had who, and who better to help me break down the 2021 draft than my first round pick, Ed Fratkin. And no, this isn't favoritism because I teased that he was going to be on the podcast before I drafted him. So I'm just keeping a promise that he was going to be my guest here to break down the draft. So Ed, thank you for joining me. Congratulations. Welcome to Team Seidenberg. Thank you, Scott. Glad to glad to be on your team. You know, this is the first time in a while that you're not a captain. Or are you going to get used to taking a back seat to me or what? Uh, absolutely. It'd be, it's, it'd be nice to have somebody else run the, run the show. Although I am going to rely on you heavily for some day-to-day operations and things like that. So you're not out of the woods. There's a reason why I drafted you, and it wasn't because of your batting average. <laughs> Whatever you need, I'm there to help. Good to hear. So uh, your first draft being a part of the board, you were sitting up there in the front of the room. What was your feeling during the draft, knowing the five new captains and how people were going to adjust? Just your overall experience uh, from, from draft day. I saw differences in how, especially the rookie captains, handled the situation. I think I actually was very impressed with most of them. You, Polzer, Goddard, um, and Kessler as well. And I know I'm missing somebody else here. Mike Conti? Mike Conti, no. He was, you know, and I think with Mike, as you know, we were all in Florida. And I think... We did a mock draft down there where everybody had different teams, and that provided like a kind of a shock to the system to Mike, realizing you can't count on getting certain guys, and you have to have you have to have backup plans. You can't say I'm going to go in and these are the 13 or 12 guys I'm going to draft, and be stuck on that because one thing somebody takes a different, some other captain takes somebody you want, you need to have alternatives there. You need to have a backup of each round of who you may take in case something surprising happens. And I think for Mike, it was a beneficial to him to do that mock draft and see, wow, I may not get all these guys that I want. I better, I better prepare a little bit differently or a little bit more. Yeah, that's why I, I, think- I, I really liked being in my spot as a rookie captain, Ed, because when I was, you know, I'm the last pick of the first round and the first pick of the second round, and, and that's how my draft would play out each and every round. The draft came to me. I didn't necessarily have to, you know, do anything besides react to what was already done before me. And I think that made it a little easier for me to draft. I agree. It, it's definitely, it takes the pressure off also of making, you know, you say you have a top three or four pick or somewhere in the middle, you know, you have to make certain decisions that you don't have to make at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the draft, especially with two in a row. You know, whether you pick somebody the last pick in the first round, or the first pick of the second round makes no difference. Same thing with every other round you're picking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it just makes life easier, I think, in, in that position where you were at, especially for a rookie captain. Yeah. And so like, I went into the draft having four guys on my on the top of my board 
And I knew that based on the way that I predicted and I felt that the draft would play out, I knew that I would at least get two of the four, which I wound up having with you and Pat Brock as my one-two. So I was very happy the way that the draft kind of came to me. You said you did the mock draft in Florida. I know that's not the only mock draft that you did. Based on your mocks, did anything come out really close to what you were thinking would, would play out? Um, it did. It, most a, a lot of the first round definitely did. There was one surprise I had in the first, uh, one or two surprises in the first round that I didn't think would occur that did. Um, but some, a lot of the picks were very, 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 very close to what the mocks made, what our mocks were. Mm-hmm. Um, especially you look at the, even, listen, even the trade between Wallman and LaRocca was, you know, was something I think everybody predicted as well. Yeah. You know, that Todd would move back. Frank would move up. Frank was in, had a love affair with Saglietto. He was going to get him and Todd was going to go back and get Freddie, which is exactly what he did. Yeah. That made sense for both of them. I think that was a really uh, simple trade. Frank made a lot of trades. You know, he traded with Polzer as well. And, and those four picks that he got in the middle there, the four, five, six, seven were actually part of a trade with Polzer at one point. It got very confusing to me in that room about who was actually picking where. It, it, it's part of the reason why I didn't make any trades because this was my first year doing it, and I was just very confused. Well, you know what? That's what happens. If you, you have to realize, especially with the combo picks, that if you trade another captain, say say Frank and Polzer, Frank and Polzer had a trade. He wanted Murphy Polzer. So he needed to have Frank's 4-11 and 11 because – if you're going to trade and use some of the traded pick and you pick a combo pick, you need to have the that captain's second pick as well that yes. goes with that combo. Yes. And the same thing with the Carlins. That's why Frank had to have Polzer's four and six. Mm-hmm. You have, and a lot of captains screw that up. And I think that's what happened, was really, why the Monarchios fell all the way to Todd. Yes. You know, you have guys that were black that couldn't take it. I, there were some teams that should have taken the Monarchios before Todd that didn't as well. They could have. But there were so many teams in between uh, before Todd that were blocked from taking that. Because at that point, it was a 7-8-9. Mm-hmm. And all these all these 8-9s or 9 was blocked off. They couldn't take it. Yeah. And look, I was sitting right next to Mark Goddard. And he'll admit he wanted to do it. But he had his brother in the 9, and he couldn't do it in the 7th round. He could not no. take them. He could have done it in the sixth round. He could have taken made the nine and eight. He could have moved everybody up. You're allowed yeah. to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you can't move you can't move somebody back. If you don't have a nine, uh, you can't that nine doesn't become a ten. It becomes an eight. Everything moves up. So unless he's willing to move the, you know, the nine up to eight and the eight up to seven, it it doesn't work. To me, that was the most surprising thing that happened in the draft room was how far the Monarchios fell. Because that's a three three person combo that that is a lot better than their draft position. Listen, I thought, and we were up there, I was up there talking to Jay-Z, and we're not allowed to talk to any of the captains while they're picking, and we're not allowed, but we're having conversations among ourselves, and I'm sitting there. We're watching the sixth round come to the end. We're seeing the Monarchios still aren't gone, and we know that um, uh, Marone can't take them. He's got Holden already blocking the eight. We know Pingaro can't take him because he's a six. Um, so the sixth round, and you know that Pollock can't take him because I think he had... At that point, I guess he could have taken him as a six because he had him. Yeah, he could have taken them as a six. He decided not to. So Lombardi comes up, and he 
really, he didn't have to take him as a six because Polzer had no seven. Yes, yeah, so he could have taken them as a seven, eight, nine. He couldn't take them as a six or a seven because he couldn't take that pick. So we knew Jim could have taken the six, which he did, Troiani, and he could have come back and taken the Monaco seven, eight, nine, which is the two of us were talking, we're like, that's what we thought he was going to do. And we were really shocked that he called out Eric Lurie's name. Not that Eric's a bad ball player, but at seven, eight, nine, that Monaco pick, it would have been huge for, I think, for Jim's team, would have made their team, his team better to have them right there. At that point, after that pick, I'll be honest with you, I was looking at the draft board and seeing who would not be able to take them thinking that they might actually fall all the way to me at the end of the seventh round and then I was going to take them. But uh, it obviously didn't get that far. It didn't even get to the second half of the seventh round with Todd uh, making the smart choice and taking them as a 7-8-9. Well, the only other person before Wallman, Todd, that could have taken them was DeMarco. But then he made this trade to the Pollocks and then swiped, you know, he made a trade to the Pollocks and then swiped Gary Klein From right Glenn. in front of Marone. Mm-hmm. I don't think I I don't think once I don't think he should have done that. I think he should have kept his picks, let let Gary Klein go to Marone and take the Monocchios at seven eight nine. That would have been a better that would have been a better group of players for him at that, especially at that spot. The value there would have been incredible for him. Yeah, and there's a lot of that as you look up and down this draft. There's a lot of sh- not should have would have could have, but there's a lot of what ifs. Um, you know, I look no, at I look at Pingano. No, what were you saying? Yeah. No, I was gonna, no I look, there's still there's still a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas, yeah. not just what is. There's still a bunch of them. Well, I look at Pingaro's team, and and I think he did well. Uh, you know, you know, I love the Toranos. Um, AJ Ortiz in the second round is very interesting to me because I know he's boys with Nick and Tony, and he, you know he's on the tournament team. He's a hell of a player. That's a lot of pre- you know being a two pick. You gotta that that's a lot of pressure on a on a rookie, I think. And I didn't know that anybody else would take him higher than, you know, mid to late three. Uh, but hey, I don't know if he would have been there in the fourth round for Pangaro. So he has to, you know, he had to have made that move there if you wanted him that badly. But I thought that what Pat was going to do was take Nick in the first round, Specchio in the second round, he has Anthony in the third. In the fourth, he could have taken someone like a like a Jason Young who went to Lombardi, and then he could have taken Yokel in the fifth. And then his five would have been Toronto, Specchio, Toronto, Young, Yokel, instead of Toronto, Ortiz, Toronto, Intasi, and Gene. Listen, I think – I agree with you. A.J. Ortiz will make or break, I think, Pat's team. If he turns out – and he's not a normal rookie. A.J.'s been playing for a yeah, while. He's, I know, a, he's I, a legit player. All right, I play with him. He plays on the tournament team. He's a really good ball player. Now, he's, I think this is probably one of his first times playing with the clincher ball, as we all know. Hitting the yellow ball and playing here and pitching the yellow, and pitching at, at this with the clincher ball in this league is different. But he's a legit player. And I don't, he would have never lasted. I don't think he would have lasted past the second half of the, of the third round at all. I mean, I don't think, listen, he, I don't, listen, we know that Polzer, Lombardi, Pollock, Pollock didn't have a pick. Uh, Marone wouldn't have picked him in the third round. Um, Pat couldn't have picked him. DeMarco may have picked him in the third round. You know, DeMarco knows him. Uh, Steinberg could have picked him in the third round, even though I doubt it because he wouldn't have had an outfielder to the fifth round. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wallman could have picked him there. 
And he, instead of Clamp, now that's just, I mean, I, Todd may have went with Clamp, you know, his history of playing with Clamp. Um, Faris wouldn't have, but I think he wouldn't have made it past Bobby Harris. Or he wouldn't have made it past Bobby Harris or Goldfarb at 11 yeah. or 12. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Or Lapine, certainly. Um, well, Lapine at Becker, I think, was he anticipates him pitching. He picked him in the second round. Mm-hmm. And the Kuczynski pick for Lapine, I thought, was very big. Once you pick, like, originally when he picked Becker, I'm like, you know, he's picking him. If he's picking him to, I don't know if he's picking him to pitch or play outfield, but once he picked, once the Kuczynski's dropped to him and he had a left center fielder, I assumed he was picking him to pitch at that yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of pressure on rookies, Mark Goddard took two rookies as his, as his first two picks. I mean, they're both very, very good players in Leonardi and Santagate. Um, but it's going to come down to those two guys to lead his team. Yeah, well, I, I actually think Mark Goddard got three very – that his first three picks were excellent. Yes. Getting Tim George in the middle of the third – I had Tim going earlier, and I still think there were teams – I looked at the, at at the Demarco pick. I was surprised Demarco didn't pick him there. I think if Demarco, my thought was Demarco, he picks Specchio. He comes around the third round. He picks Tim George. Yeah, and he still gets Woody in the fourth, and he can still get Yoko in the fifth. I I thought for Anthony, I was shocked. He, I mean, Specchio's his boy. He's a good friend. I was shocked he didn't pick him there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought him. I thought Demarco, Specchio, and George starting the first three would have been excellent first three to start his team. That's a scary um, but, top three. Exactly. But that's why I think Goddard, you know, if Leonardi turns out to be the player we all think he is, and Santagate, again, I know I know Steve. I play with him on the other team, and he's very good. And Timmy is excellent ball player. He showed that last year. Yep. So I think, I think Mark did an excellent job in his first three picks. Yeah. And Leonardi, from all accounts, is going to be one hell of a player. Uh, he's the best player in the MVP league and will, will be a top 10 player in this league. Yeah. Uh, moving on, I, I look at some of the top teams that I think, uh, you know, had really good drafts. I mean, how could how could you say Frank went wrong? Look, Saglietto and Santa Maria. You and I have talked about Santa Maria a lot. Uh, he's got all the potential in the world to be one of the best players, if not the best player overall in this league, once he adjusts to hitting the clincher and, and learns how to really become a softball player. Rosenthal in the third, you know, I, I'm not sure who else he would have had there. And then you get the, the the four, five, six, seven, Carlin, Jay-Z, Carlin, Perone. I think Frank did a very nice job. Well, I, listen, I like Frank's draft. I'll place it as one of the top three, if not the top draft. Um, he has, I think Jordan's going to, again, I've known Jordan. I've seen, I've played with him. I've seen him progress. He keeps getting better and better. He was down in Florida with us. He did excellent. I think Santa Marita will turn on, you know, he's going to be a left center fielder yep. in terms of fielding. Mm-hmm. It all depends on how he hits. Now, he's a lefty with a lot of speed. Really, all he's got to do, at least to start off, hit the ball down and run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he'll he'll come through, and I think Phil's only getting better and better. Ronnie, everybody knew Ronnie was going to, he was going to get Ronnie at some point. Yeah, uh, He did that. Perone, I think, I mean, we, you and I had discussed that if, if he doesn't pick Perone there, you're, you're going to take him. Of course. You know? And also, Perone was a very good pick. I played with him in the fall. And Joel, even though he's anchored literally and figuratively first base, he still hits. You know, he can't move out of that first base spot. But it's still, you know, you have a first baseman who can field and hit. He's, he's a very good value at that five spot. What did you make of my decision to go Kraus combo, Fizino combo, back-to-back 7-8? I locked up 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 
with two picks? Well, I thought getting I thought getting the Kraus pick at the last pick in the seventh round was a steal. And the Ficino pick, I know for a fact Brian would have been gone very soon after if you didn't pick him. I mean, he's probably the top one of the top three fielding third basemen. Mm-hmm. Uh he needs to, he needs to learn how to hit a softball and stop trying to swing like a baseball player, which him and I have discussed. And we were even out yesterday hitting. Um, now, he's more than willing. He wants to learn. He wants to change his swing. He wants to figure out how to hit a softball. And I think he can do it. He's got the talent. He's got the, he's got the tools to do it. Um, I think that getting him a third base right there in the eighth and getting Russ to play the outfield, essentially, again, almost an eighth-round pick was, were, were steals. And Justin Krause, a young, fast kid, um, definitely can use him, put him in the outfield. I, I thought I thought those were good picks, you know. Especially when you get down to the middle, late rounds of the draft, if you can find picks that fill up those spots, and they can give you some uh, give you some benefit there, you definitely take them. And then I'll take everybody in the room here for a second. So at, after I made that pick, it was kind of nice for me because I didn't have to pick <laughs> for a long time. And I just kind of yeah. just sat back and watched the draft happen. And I'm walking around the room and I'm listening to guys trade talks. And I don't have a pick forever. And it's coming down to the 12th round. And I, and I need to make a pick. And I, I'm thinking about who I can get in the 12th and who I can get to the 13th. And I walk up and I go, Randell, Randell, the 12th, 12, 13. Uh, listen, Brad can bat 450 to 500. And to get him as a 12, I think uh, makes my bottom very strong. I think, yeah, I think Brad can still, as a 12, you know, it's, he does, he's not a real 12. Now, there are reasons I think that he goes at 12 and his son, you know, the son goes to 13. He's a kid. He's what, 17, 18 yeah, years old. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame, you know, Brad does go as a 12 and, you know, but he could be very helpful for a team when you bat, when you're 12 and you bat 450. There's not many 12s who are going to bat 450 in this league. And still, he could back up second base. He can back up first base. Yeah, when he plays catcher, he can he can actually you need a, a guy who can catch the ball, whether it's just a, not a perfect throw, who can make plays at home. It's only it's it can only be a benefit to a team mm-hmm. to have somebody who can do that. So I think it's I definitely think it's helpful to our to our team to have him at that position. Drashinsky took Jordan Priest in the first round, Ed, and I jumped up for joy because that I knew that I was getting Pat Brock at that point. I thought when I was prepping for the first round that I thought Seth was going to take Pat Brock in the first round. And if he wanted the priest combo, he could have taken Pat Brock in the first round and just made the priests his two, three, but I guess he had his heart set on Joe Tracy. And that's why he took Jordan in the first round. I I thought he was going to, I thought the, I thought Seth made a mistake there. I thought he should have taken Pat Brock because you weren't taking you weren't taking the priest pick. I was not. So, so you're, and I think everybody knew you were. And every mock I saw, you, nobody had you taking the priest pick. I don't think you would have. It didn't make sense to you. You would. That means you wouldn't have had to pick an outfielder to the fifth round. Uh-huh. It just doesn't make sense. He could have taken Pat Brock, taken taken the priest at two three, and you know, yeah, he wouldn't have got Joe Tracy. But I think Pat Brock is definitely a first round talent that he would have been picked. He should have been picked there. Um, that was my thought, especially when you're picking the priest pick. Um, that's your 
that's your shortstop third baseman or your shortstop second baseman right there. And you get a premium left center field, one of the top in the league for many years in Justin Brock. I mean, he's done it for many years. Yeah, Joey's great. And but Joey hasn't been doing it for as consistent as Pat has been for mm-hmm. for what a decade now. Yeah, and Pat, what I love, Pat, Pat's dynamic on the bases. I mean, I'm telling yes. like, listen, he's gonna score from first on any ball that you put in play behind him. So <laughs> even if it's a long deep flyout, because the outfield has to play so deep for you that Pat's just gonna tack up and at least get to third base. So and, and he he starts on second most of the time anyway, so he's gonna score. So I, I'm very happy with my top. Uh, my top couple of picks. Uh, a, a team that I really like, Ed, is Goldfarb. He's got three guys at the top of his draft that you could argue are all late first-round picks in Perigene, DiNapoli, and Cordy. Yeah, I think, listen, I definitely like Cordy. I, I don't know why Rob falls that far. I don't think it's he's just a, he's a quiet. true third. It's just because he's I quiet. Think, I, I don't think he's a true third-round pick. You get him at least a, a second-round talent at third round. Nick... I think, you know, at that position, because you have Alex who can play shortstop, you don't have, once you have a left center fielder, you don't need to say, all right, I picked a left center I pick a left center fielder at one. I need to get a shortstop at two. Nick is one of the best. He can either play a, a, a lockdown third or a lockdown second, and he's going to hit 600 plus every year. And Joey Paragene, I mean, he's. He's been a great left center fielder for many years. Now, I really thought that Goldfarb was going to pick Gold Rose in there. And I think almost every mock I, I saw had had him taking him there. The only other mocks I saw that he had that they had him take they had uh Goldfarb taking me there. But I thought more Gold Rosen was going to go in that pick. And I was kind of shocked that a uh, guy didn't choose him there. So play that out for me. If Goldfarb does take Gold Rosen, does Lapine take Perigene? No, I think Lapine always takes Tommy Carroll. Oh, Tommy okay. played for him in the past. Dennis loves Tommy. He loves the big he plays the shortstop. He, Tommy hits bombs. He's a lefty. I, I don't think I don't think Dennis picks Joey before he picks Tommy. I was I think it would have made I think it would have made life interesting for Frank mm. whether he's able to he make that trade now. He's got his neck. Does he, you know, Goldfarb picking Joey kind of lifted a weight off of Frank's uh, shoulders. Now he doesn't have to make the decision: Do I trade for Saglietto or do I take my next door neighbor? Yeah, you know, it it made life easy for him. Well, that would have been interesting to see how that played out. Um, there's a a lot of a lot to like in this draft. There's a lot to criticize in this draft. Uh, when it's all said and done, you've looked at it now for a couple of days. Who, in your mind, are the top? Let's say top five drafts in no particular order. Um. I actually, I already said I think Frank has one of the top five drafts. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I I think Todd has one of the top five drafts. I, I think agree. you know the Monarchia picks falling to him. You know Lugo Santoni at the top is great and Clamp in the third round, um, and the Monarchia picks just made him a top, definitely made him a top five draft. Let me see who else here. I have I have Bobby Harris in the top five. I didn't like Bobby's draft. You did it. I didn't like. I didn't like Bobby's draft. I think, and it's not because I think the first two or three picks. I think Callum Bykowski in the outfield, unbelievable left center field, right center field doesn't make the difference who plays which one. Great outfield. Noel in the third round, the play short was great. I think, yeah. And this is what happens, and you know, when you're captain and you, you get stuck sometimes. Not stuck. You want to, you know, you're 
you want to pick friends. And sometimes it becomes difficult. And sometimes the result of wanting to pick friends, you either have to overdraft or you have to lose out on players you otherwise, you know, if somebody falls to you, you otherwise would have drafted, you can't take them. And I think not that Chef isn't a good player. I think that picking him in the fourth round, especially with he comes with an eight and a ten, kind of basically clogs up your draft where you can't you can't pick a lot of the combo picks. And you know, Bobby again was precluded from that Monocchio pick because he made Chef the four that, that pick right there. Got it. I just I just didn't like it, and I see the problem with Bobby's draft. <laughs> I just, I just don't, I really don't see it being what he, what it could have been, you know, if he had some more open, if he didn't feel compelled to take certain people in certain positions, I thought he could have done better. Okay. Um, I also had Goldfarb in that top five, but we talked about his team. Um, I, yeah. And I think the Pargaments at five, six, solid pick, draping the pitch at seven. Um, I, I like the Pargament pick. I thought that was, that fell to him. I thought they should have picked. The Pargament should have picked I thought much it. earlier. I thought I, I listen, I I thought you could have picked the Pargament pick. I mean, Polzer could have picked it, but he you know, even he could have picked it as his five, a five six as well. I like that better than what he took at five six. I thought it's not the I mean, Andy's a great hitter and he's a great first baseman. Joey's the value there. Joey's the value because he plays any infield position in any outfield position. Mm-hmm. You know, great as a young kid, speed. Uh, I thought there's a lot of teams that should have taken that pick before it dropped to Goldfarb. Yeah. So, yeah, I like, I, I liked his – I think the bottom of his draft, he may have some problems with well, where are you going to play certain people. But everybody has problems with the bottom, you know, the bottom of their draft in certain ways. Steinberg, um, Steinberg pretty much took – he has most of his guys that he won a championship last year. I mean, it's hard to argue against, you know, the team that, that they won a championship. He's got the same top three. In the bomb and blitz, he's at the same top floor, four, I should say, in the bomb and blitz, Jurassic and himself. And then he took, you know, Aronson, fine gold. He's, you know, trying to run it back, I guess. No, he had a, a good draft. I don't think he expected the bomb blitz and then Jurassic to fall to him like they did. Mm-hmm. You know, he basically put the band, he basically put the band together back with Lambo, which is probably an upgrade over the pitcher he had last year. And, you know, he's counting on, I think, and they, if the Levines hit like they can. And they could give them some adequate defense. Those are, those guys are are really dynamic ball players. They're both fast and young. They're lefties, which is always a benefit in this league. Um, you know, other than the only the only thing, maybe other than not having much power beyond the you know Eric and Richie, you know, I I see them as being as a very good team. But that's the same. But that's what they were last year. I mean, they didn't have I much know. power last year, and they won it all. And they were the best team all year. Yeah, I know. I mean, power isn't what won them the championship last year. That's why. I wondered why some of these teams, listen, I I know, again, like Pat wanted to play with the Tyrannos. I'm not sure picking the Bomber Blitz wouldn't have been a better pick for him. Marone, I, I know he liked, you know, he liked Caputo and he had to pick his future son-in-law, Amadeo, so he couldn't pick the Bomber Blitz there. Mm-hmm. I actually think Pollock, his team would have been better with the Bomber Blitz rather than uh, Martino and Valentino's as one-two. Yeah, I, I, I I thought I thought that's where they. Were. I mean, look, I never thought that they were going to do it because they played with Martino many, you know, many times. So you know, they take the guy that they know. Martino's their guy, but I thought that if I was them, I would have taken Eric and Richie. And then your top four is Eric, Richie, you know, Mitch and Matt. That's that's pretty freaking good. 
Yeah, I actually thought, and I look at, I think their team would have been more dynamic because right now I look at their outfield and they have all guys who can catch solid ball players. You have Roland in left. It looks like Mitch in left center, uh, right or Reese or whatever he's calling himself these days, Swag in right center, and maybe Larry Rubin in right. They're all good, solid players, but they're not going to cover a huge amount of ground. I mean, that's good on Union Hill because they're it's a smaller outfield, but you you have one of these open fields. It could present a problem. You know what I mean? They don't have any, I don't see any real speed in that outfield to cover a lot of ground. I just think uh, it would have helped. I think, they, again, the bombing bliss would have been for, I thought would have been a better pick there. Like, I think Evan was lucky to have those guys drop in his lap at, at, at seven. And final thing, Ed, uh, what was your moment of the draft? The moment of the draft for me was seeing the reaction on Marone's face when DeMarco made the trade and took Gary Klein. That was the moment of the draft for me. Oh, my God. That was – I don't think – I think it was a disbelief. That was, had, was utter had, shock, yeah. You had DeMarco, like, cackling in the background. <laughs> like, he was laughing the whole time. Like, he thought – and I think – honestly, I think that was the wrong thing. I think that doesn't help DeMarco's team to do that. I, I know he, he traded up to get him. I – I I just didn't think that was that was the right pick for him there, and I think he thought that maybe Marone would trade him for him and give him something else. But Glenn didn't. Glenn did the right thing. He picked Danny DeFidel, which is at least as I think is at least as good a ball player. And Danny can play not only third, he can play second. He's a very good hitter. I mean, he's been playing. Danny's been playing for a long time at a high level. So. I didn't think that was a downgrade for Marone. I think DeMarco made a strategic mistake in doing that. In the process, it cost him the ability, again, we keep coming to this one pick, the ability to pick the Monocchios, it, it prevented him from doing that because he made that trade. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. But that was the moment of the draft. Any other moment stand out to you? When I did an analysis of, of, of our team, my first thought was how do you – I was going to make fun of you is look, about, look at the team you pick. You know, the worst fucking team in the league. You, first round, you draft the guy who tore his Achilles. Second round, you, second round, you drafted a nut job. Third, fourth round, you drafted a hothead. Fifth round, you drafted a football player. Sixth round, you drafted the winner of the biggest loser. Seventh round, you drafted a 70-year-old. And eighth round, you drafted a guy named Faz whose best friend is Lugos. And then, worst of all, you drafted not one but two, but two Randells. What the fuck were you thinking? You know? <laughs> it's... When you when you say it like that, <laughs> uh, now now that you put it that way, maybe I can wish I had a do over here. I I still think you know. Listen, there are some guys I think that still have problems with understanding how the draft works. You even said as a rookie manager, you made no trades, and I think some guys still have problems understanding the combo picks and how things work and what happens when a combo pick drops. And what it means and how they're blocked. I, I just like I see guys like like you don't draft. I, I think of this thing: you don't draft a full time catcher maybe before the twelfth round that like somebody you know one of the captains did. I, I just think I see people making certain mistakes that I'm like I can't believe they're doing that. Yeah, but people you know, they'll learn and they realize. Um, you know, it's not something like some of the captains been doing this for a long time. Like. The Wallmans, the the you know, the front of the Rock, uh, the, you know, 
Goldfarbs, you know, Harris, they try not, you know, I think they're better off understanding these things and they don't make those mistakes. But I think some of the new guys are still learning. Even I'm not talking about just the rookies, but some of the guys who've only been doing it a couple of years. Yeah. So it's always fun. It is. And it's fun to break it down. And I appreciate you sharing your insight with me, even if you did just rip my entire draft and now make me uh, reconsider everything. (laughs) I figured I'd do that. I figured I'd make you happy. Thanks. All right, Ed. Well, I'll see you out on the field for some BP. Good luck this weekend. I know you got a tournament down there in Virginia, so uh, I'll see you when you get back. Thanks, God. Appreciate it. There he is, Ed Fratkin. My thanks to him for his thoughts on the 2021 draft and looking ahead to the start of the season. I am so ready to get this season started. I can't wait to get out there. I feel confident. I'm happy. As nervous as I was going into the draft, I think that's how satisfied I am coming out of the draft and now it's just time to play the games on the field right hopefully we won't have frank on doing any more stratomatic or virtual uh predictions this year hopefully we're starting and we will start on time and everything will work out just fine thanks for listening as always remember to subscribe to marlboro softball talk wherever you get your podcasts from this way you get the newest episode downloaded directly to your mobile device or you can listen on facebook or however else however you're listening just keep listening because we're going to keep coming out with episodes every single week and i thank you guys so much and i will talk to you next time right here on marlboro softball talk